Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you on your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. All right, can I be honest with you? You see, this series, or at least the idea behind this series, has been on my mind for some time. We're calling it the conservative Christian. Now, it's something that's extremely important and extremely biblical, but not something that's talked about every day in our church services. Or at least it's not talked very often about in the services that I'm in. And I began thinking seriously down this road, sometimes between the middle of January, or I'm sorry, the middle of, I was probably March or so around the COVID time into summer of 2020. Like I said, it might have been spring. But anyway, the timing just didn't feel right. And after talking about it, we decided it would be a good idea to to push back to late winter or spring of 2021. So we pushed it to now. And as the time has gotten closer for this series, I've considered tabling it again. I have this, this fear of coming across as political. But this is certainly not what my goal is. And if you know me well, I am not a fan of political division. And as Christians... We need to realize that there are people who love and follow Jesus on multiple sides of political issues. Additionally, there are people who are far from Jesus who identify as Democrat and Republican and Independent and whatever other party is out there. There are people far from God on all sides of the issues which have become political. And if we aren't careful, when we make our Christianity, our our relationship with God, either pro or anti to different political views that are not specifically taken in, in Scripture, we run the risk of pushing people away from the God that we serve, the God who loved them and us enough to send his son Jesus to live a perfect life on earth as God in human form before dying on a cross to take, himself, take on himself the punishment and penalty for your sins, for my sins, and for their sins? And do we really want our political views to push people away from Jesus? As I was wrestling with this, a friend challenged me, and he suggested addressing my concerns and reminding people that the life of Christians, the life of the church, isn't to be polarized like it is in politics. It isn't to be polarized like it is politically in our world. All of this to say, we are moving forward with this series, and we are going to invite the Holy Spirit to speak, and I am sincerely asking you that you would hear whatever he is saying, that you would hear whatever the Holy Spirit is telling you. And simultaneously, I'm asking that you wouldn't hear from me anything contrary to God's word and what the Holy Spirit would desire us to know. I want you to be focused on what he would want you to hear. So let's go to him in prayer, and let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak. God in heaven, Holy Spirit, we're inviting you in today. Speak to us where we're at. Convict us where we're at. Challenge us where we're at. Encourage us where we're at. Let us hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. When I say conservative Christian or conservation, what do you think of? When I say conservative Christian or conservation, what comes to your mind? Do you think of of Republican versus Democrat? 
You think of going green or electric cars or global warming or, or saving the planet. The unfortunate reality is these words can become divisive and polarizing. And is this God's desire for his people? Does he want us to be divided and antagonistic towards each other? You see, currently in the U.S., we are a nation that is divided. It is quite possible that people are divided throughout the world, and and that may be the case, but it is extremely evident here in our country that we are a people who are divided. And this division is entering, or, or maybe I should say has entered, the church. Now, to be clear, when I say church, I want to be clear that in this context, what I'm talking about is is not necessarily the rescue church. I am referring to the body of Christ. I am referring to the Christian church as a whole. As a result, a world looking for hope, a world looking for something different than what they're experiencing, a world looking for answers is often not seeing what they are looking for in the church. Unfortunately, the people around us are seeing in the church something similar to what they're seeing outside of the church. They're seeing people divided by politics. They're seeing people divided by race and so many other things. And too often they see Christians talk about a God who loves them and yet live in a way that is unloving to those within the church. And if that's happening within the church, and it's no different than what's happening outside the church, why Why would anyone want to be a part of a relationship with Christ? Why would anybody want to be a part of the church? After all, it's what they're trying to get away from. An Indian philosopher named Bara Dada once said it this way. He said, Jesus is ideal and wonderful, but you Christians, you are not like him. Now, Mahatma Gandhi is 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 said to have said, and I don't know for sure exactly what it was, but, but he is said to have said this, that, that I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are unlike your Jesus. And I'm not exactly sure who Dada or Gandhi saw Jesus as. I don't know if they truly understood that Jesus was God who came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on a cross so that we could have a perfect relationship with God. My guess is they didn't, but these quotes still illustrate a point that, that, that people are not clearly seeing who Jesus is through Christians. They are not clearly seeing who Jesus is through the church. And the fact still remains that there is a world around us looking for a hope that all the money, all the prestige, all the relationships, all the drugs, whatever else, all the whatevers cannot provide. This is a, there is a world around us that is looking for a hope that is only found in a personal relationship with Jesus. Christian, one of the things that God has invited us into is an opportunity to share that hope that he offers. We've said it before. We'll say it many more times. The church is God's plan to share the hope of Christ with the world. So how are we doing at this? Do the people suffering around us, around where we live, do they realize that there is hope? The Apostle Peter, he said it this way in 1 Peter 1.3. He said this, he said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth, that's that relationship with him, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have hope. Do you see it? 
We have a living hope because of Jesus, because of who he is. And there's a world around us that is looking for hope, and we have it through Jesus. Are they seeing that hope in us? Are they seeing it in the church? Now, I might have gotten a little off track, so, so let me get back to where I was at. We were talking about being divided. I was making the point that, that people who are not Christian are seeing the people who claim to be Christian exhibiting some of the same divisive behaviors as those who don't claim to be Christian. Some of those people, when they hear the word conservative, think about Christianity. And they think of a Christianity that, that seems to support an unloving approach to the world around them. They associate, they associate us as Christians with hate speak and anger, which is it's really too bad. It's too bad because it's the opposite of what Jesus says that we're to be about. It's the opposite of what he intended for us. The Apostle John tells us in 1 John 4 that, that people will know us by our love, not that they will know us by our judgment. You see, if we look at 1 John 4, 7 through 8, it reads like this. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This idea, this, this realization that John had of how people should recognize Christians wasn't original to him. He wasn't the first one to have said what he, he wrote there. It's something that he had heard Jesus himself say. And John recorded those words that Jesus had said earlier, if we look at John 13, 35, where Jesus stated, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We'll know, they'll know that we're his followers if we love one another. Now, I know it, it sounds really feel-good and maybe even soft to say, but Jesus said it, so I'm going to stand by it. Our self-righteous stands aren't what gets the world around us to a point where they know that we're Christians. No, no, the world around us knows Christians by the way we love each other, not by our self-righteous stands. Since this is the case, since people know how, that the Christians are Christians by the way we love each other, what should that look like? What should the way we love people around us look like? Now, Paul actually says, hey, I'm going to give you an outline. And he does it when he writes to the church in Corinth. Now, looking back at the background of, of Corinth, we've talked about it before, but, but in case you've missed it or in case you've forgotten, let's, let's revisit it again. Corinth was a very important city in, in its time. It was the center of trade between four and five miles wide with ports, on the east side and on the west side. I said that backwards, but anyway, on the east side, east side and west side, yeah. And the north was mainland Greece, and on the south was this large peninsula that was the rest of the area, the rest of that country to the south. And so much went through Corinth. Corinth was a very diverse city known for its sexual immorality, among other things. And in spite of all of this, and in the middle of all of this, was a young church a young church that the Apostle Paul was actively working to establish and grow under his direction, under his leadership, and under the power of the Holy Spirit, of course. Now, as I learned the background, as I cover the background of Corinth, it made me appreciate that the church in Corinth and Paul's letters to them even more. After all, they were dealing with many of the same challenges, the same types of things that we are still dealing with here in this country, here in this time. It makes his words seem so much more applicable to where we are at today. 
So with that in mind, how does Paul say that Christians should love each other? Well, the reality is he devoted the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians to this, an entire chapter of that book to this. It's often referred to as the love chapter. And Paul says it this way if we look at, at verses 4 through 7 of chapter 13, the love chapter. He says this, he says, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Church, Christian, when people look at us, what do they see? When they look at you, when they look at me, what do they see? There's a long list that I just went through, and can I be honest with you? I look at that list, and I start to feel overwhelmed. Do I actually love like this? If God is love, and we are told back in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love, then God is love and does all these things. And if Jesus is God, and we are told that he is, then Jesus is love and he does all of these things. And if as a Christian, I am being transformed to be in the likeness of Jesus, who is love, who does all these things, then I need to be like Jesus. So if we look at Romans 12 too, then I am to be doing all those things. So like I said, I'm overwhelmed by this. If you follow along, I'm overwhelmed because when I reread this with that understanding I just shared, I realize that, that I should read, should being the key word, I should read Sam is patient, Sam is kind, Sam does not envy, Sam does not boast, Sam is not proud, Sam does not dishonor others, Sam is not self-seeking. Are you following me here? Sam is not angered, or easily angered, I should say. Sam keeps no records of wrongs, and yeah, that records of wrong things. Anyway, as I, anyway, um, continuing on. Sam does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Sam always, and that always word, that's a big one. Sam always protects. Sam always trusts. Sam always hopes. Sam always perseveres. That's what it should be in my life. What if you inserted your name in there? Is it true? Can you say that you always protect? Can you always say that you don't keep any record of wrong? Can you say that you aren't self-seeking? Can you say that you are patient? How are you doing with living out the love of Christ that is to be in all of us as believers? Make no mistake, if we truly loved like this, the world could not deny that there was something different about us. We would be defined by our love. We would be defined by who Jesus, who Jesus is in us. Church, the plan for reaching the world with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus, is you and it's me. And the world around us will know us by our love. So what are they seeing? Are they seeing love? Earlier we talked about how divided things are right now in this world. And in some cases, divided in the church. If you don't think it's true, talk to some pastors. It seems more than ever that people are hurting. Pastors are hurting. Pastors are tired. They are wrestling with what to do in a world that is trying to figure out how to respond to the coronavirus pandemic that's dividing the world. They are dealing with people saying that, that the church is unhappy because they require masks. They are leaving the church unhappy. People are leaving churches unhappy because they don't require masks. 
People are refusing to serve in churches where the leadership often uh, requires masks or doesn't. So in one case that I know of, they have mask mandatory service and they have a mask optional service. They, they are trying to work with both, both groups of people, yet people are still upset because they don't require no masks. And in fact, in that situation, I know that there's people that are refusing to serve in that church because they don't think any masks should be required in any of their services. I know of specific situations with each of those things I said where this is possible and this is happening right now in our church and how absolutely ridiculous that we have allowed a piece of cloth that covers a person's face to divide the church and take our eyes off of the one who is to be the head of the church, Jesus. And if that piece of cloth on our face is that divisive, can you blame me for being concerned about talking about what the Bible has to say about taking care of the planet that we live on? Can you blame me for being nervous about how well talks about stewardship of what God has given us to manage will go? I, I don't want to be divisive. I don't want us as Christians to stand on, uh, on anything other than the truth of Scripture. I want us to stand solidly on Scripture itself. We can disagree about how we need to address the truths of Scripture. I'm okay with us not all being yes men and yes women. I'm okay with us challenging each other to look at things differently and consider different options and different interpretations. After all, there's wisdom said to be in a multitude of advisors, so I'm, I'm great looking at different, different perspectives. In the church, however, those different perspectives cannot divide us. We have got to stand on Scripture. We've got to stand on truth, and we have to be a church that loves. Remember when I said Corinth was a very divisive and in many ways, uh, I'm sorry, very diverse area in many ways reminds me of, of where we're at in the U.S. right now. Let me look at some of the words some of Paul wrote. Let me share them with you. We're going back to 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at chapter 1, verse 10, where he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. As Christians, we are challenged to live united. As we get ready to wrap up, I want to ask you, what if? I want to ask you, what if the world around us looked and saw the hope of Christ in the church? What if the world around us looked at the church and saw the way we loved each other, being what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13? What if, as a people with a variety of different backgrounds, a variety of different races, a variety of different family situations, a variety of political beliefs, a variety of jobs or careers and educations, a variety of ages and so on, what if people saw the variety of the people who are part of the church and saw us living united in Christ? Let me ask you, church, what if... Rescue Church, what if they saw that in us? What if in a nation and a world divided by so many things, people saw variety and unity coexisting in the church? What if? There are some questions I want you to think about, and I want to challenge you to consider this week. I believe that these are on your note sheets, and if you haven't downloaded them, you can, or if you don't have one, I'm going to go over them here quickly. The questions are these. Does my life display a hope that comes from knowing the God who is overall and promises to work all things together for good to those who love him? 
when people look at my life, do they see the love described in 1 Corinthians 13? Question three, are there any behaviors in my life causing division? And if so, do I need to change those behaviors? Question four, am I actively working alongside other Christians to help people know Jesus? And if so, how am I doing it? Question five, have my political beliefs become an idol in my life? Regarding that last question, I'm looking ahead to when we talk about stewarding the natural resources that God has given, stewarding this planet that we live on. We're going to see what Scripture has to say, what God has to say about this topic. And I realize most of us have strong opinions when it comes to taking care of the planet that God has put us on. I also realize that those strong opinions often come with a desire to dig in our heels, to, to, to just hold our ground when someone thinks differently than us. And while I don't have any plans on making an argument for or against global warming, I do plan to challenge us to look at what God has told us to do and what he has told us about stewarding the planet. And we are going to consider whether or not we are doing it well. So back to that last question where I challenge you to, to ask whether or not your political beliefs have become an idol in your life. I am truly challenging each of us to consider whether or not we would resist changing what we believe about the Bible, what we believe that the Bible says because of our political beliefs. Or are we willing to change what our political beliefs are because of what the Bible says? If you're joining us today and you have never made the decision to trust Jesus for forgiveness of your sins and begin a relationship with God, let me challenge you in that first. Let me challenge you to do that today. Let me also tell you honestly, openly, as Christians, we aren't perfect. It's a fact. But please don't allow our imperfections to keep you from a relationship with God, with the God who loves you and loves us in spite of all of the flaws that exist. Don't allow our imperfections to keep you from wanting to know a perfect God. That perfect love that we talked about earlier, He is that perfect love that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 13. That hope that you are looking for, he is the provider of that hope. He promises that he works out everything for good for those who are followers of him. So please join many before you who have acknowledged that we aren't perfect, that we do things that separate us from God. Join us in saying to God that you are a sinner, acknowledging you are a sinner in need of forgiveness, and that only God can provide that forgiveness. Tell him that you want a relationship with him today. He is there waiting to have and start that relationship with you. And as we close, let me remind you as Christians, our lives should resemble Christ, period. Our lives should be a reflection of who Jesus is. After all, it is Jesus who models through his death, burial, and resurrection a hope for something that is beyond this life. It is Jesus who we are told was the love personified. It is Jesus who lives in the perfect unity with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit works in our lives, yours and mine, as we become more and more like Jesus, may people see God in us and want a personal relationship with him for themselves. Let's pray.
God, thank you for the example of Jesus. The example of perfect love, the example of unity, the provision of hope that it is here and is ours because of him. Thank you. I wonder if at times we just don't realize it, if I don't realize it or if I take it for granted. God, help me. Help me to remember that you love us. Your desire for us is to be love. Your desire for us is to be united as your bride, as the church. Your desire is that we would reflect the hope that is available only through Jesus. Your desire is that there would be a world around us that knows who you are because of how you are at work in our lives. That we would reflect you. God, forgive us. Let me take a step back. Forgive me for when my life doesn't reflect you. Forgive us as the rescue church when we don't reflect you. I pray that as a church, as a whole, specifically in, in the U.S., but beyond for sure, God, I pray that we would be a church united, that you would do an amazing thing in your church, that you would bring revival to your church, that you would bring a new life to your church, that life that, that is based on our relationship with you, that life that is love that shows love, that shows hope. God, may people come to you because of what they see you doing in the lives of your people. God, change us. Make us like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Rescue Church's past messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com.